0: Hello, everybody. You're listening to Angel Nears the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders, where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujakov, and our guest today is Pradeep Padala, an entrepreneur who likes to solve hard infrastructure problems. Pradeep is co-founder and CEO of Filament, a cloud workflow automation platform. In the past, Pradeep led efforts to modernize and run Cisco Zasper software as a service in the public cloud. He came to Cisco via acquisition of Containers, Inc. that Pradeep co-founded. Today, we're going to talk with Pradeep about the importance of automation to operate any large-scale service in the cloud. But before we get into that, Pradeep, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Oleg. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me. This is uh, this is awesome. I uh, would love to chat about uh, our company and uh... Share my thoughts of my entrepreneurship uh, journey. It's been, I've been in the industry for more than six years now in terms of startups and uh, in terms of like working in the IT industry, it's been a while. (laughs) So we'll talk about
0: that. Awesome. Well, let's talk about it. So why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in your career and how you got to this moment today?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think I'll start with my previous company. I started a company called ContainerX almost six years ago. We built a container management platform, and uh, it was a core Then, Then we started Filament in 2019. But before ContainerX, I was working at VMware. I was uh, working as an engineer there, but I was also part of uh, a few incubation projects. That's That's one thing that inspired me to start doing something of my own. Before VMware, I was at Docomo Labs, Docomo the entity, Docomo the Japanese telecom company. I was a research engineer there, and that was my very first job after my PhD from University of Michigan. So I came to the States almost 20 years ago, did my master's from University of Florida and then PhD from Michigan. It's been an exciting journey. I kind of experienced being an engineer to researcher to now... In a startup entrepreneur, I, I was I was the CTO for my previous company. Now I'm the CEO for this company, so have have experienced different types of roles as well. A super exciting journey. Hope to do more in next few years.
0: Awesome University of Michigan, awesome school. I did not quite make the make the cut out of high school, but uh, that's that, that's really cool. Maybe I could go get a PhD someday. Why don't you Why don't we start with this? Can you talk about the importance of automation?
1: Yeah, that's my favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, so automation, I think, means different things to different people. So I'm going to constrain it to our field, uh, IT infrastructure. So if you look at uh, what uh, what happens behind the scenes uh, of any SaaS, right? Uh, if I'll give you an example, just at the beginning of 2021, Slack went down. Slack, the company, right, the the product. And it was out for maybe a couple of hours. Obviously, Slack is used by many, many
0: people in the world. Right, I remember <laughs> it was a busy day at the office or virtual office. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because it's virtual, everyone is using Slack, and Slack is down. <laughs> so, so who gets who fixes that? So there is an army of engineers uh, called SREs, Site Reliability Engineers, or DevOps Engineers in some cases, who actually. Ca- essentially wake up when something like this happen, happens and uh, try to fix it. So that's our audience. And uh, what they do is to figure out what the problem is and then troubleshoot. Like sometimes you have to try something, maybe it doesn't work, retry, try something else and so on. And then eventually they fix it. So we call that a workflow. What they do start to end to fix a problem is a workflow and Clearly, we don't want people to be doing everything manually, right? Uh, I mean, Slack is a global company with like millions of users. So anything you do, you're going to do through code. That's where automation comes into picture. So, automation is about automating tasks that people do. In this context, SREs and DevOps engineers do, so that we can quickly fix things. So, that's what we are targeting. So, our platform essentially is targeted towards these users. And making that workflow, or, or I call it three parts: build, run, and analyze workflows, as easy as possible. And we can dig into different aspects of it, but that's what we are solving. So we we want to help engineers who can solve the problem in in minutes rather than hours or days. Uh, that's what automation is for.
0: Yeah. Let's start there. Can you, can you break down those three pieces for me?
1: Yeah. Uh, again, uh, if you look at engineers, I mean people write like to write code right uh, and uh, it it, should, it seems obvious that oh they are writing code to automate and things will be fine right like when some problem happens we run a script or or, or a workflow everything is cool but the problem is that uh, it's it's never you never know what problem happens right or, or what you have to do for a given problem so that's why it is a workflow uh, so the workflow will have multiple steps and it will have things like conditionals right like if something happens do x if something else happens do y right uh, so that's what is a conditional uh, is about now how do you build this right uh, you could you could be writing code to build the workflow itself or you can use a visual interface so that's what we have done uh, we have built uh, what people call as the no code interfaces right these days So we have a visual interface where you drag and drop different services that you're interacting with and you connect them. And then you save and you you run them. Now the interesting aspect is that we are not replacing any of these scripts or the code that people are writing. The interface is, is not intended to be a replacement for code. It's to make it easier for you to connect that pieces of code so it's, it's it works exactly like that. You drag and drop and you connect different services. Now you might ask, hey, why do, what, what am I doing here connecting these things, right? So the challenge here is that when you connect services, each one has its own way of data format, uh, how you manage secrets or credentials, right? Like the login password, all that. And uh, how it provides uh, information like logs, errors, and things like that. So that's what Filament helps you with. Um, in, a, in our platform, it's as simple as drag and drop, connect. We take care of all the things, logs, monitoring, credentials, data passing, uh, error checking, all of that. Uh, so that's the very first part, build. And then the second part is run. Uh, there, we are trying to solve the problem of running multiple types of things in a single place. Some people think of it as like a, a like an orchestration layer. Uh, it, could be, um, it could be like Kubernetes, but we are like a, at a higher layer where we are working with different tools. Uh, it could be Terraform, Ansible, Kubernetes, and so on. And finally, after you run it, there, there might still be problems, right? You want to see why something succeeded, failed, uh, with even specific steps in a workflow might have errors. Uh, so we give you tools to debug that. Um, so that's what filament is about is to help that SRE and DevOps engineer do these t- three tasks, build, run, and analyze workflows.
0: And talk about the, the you know, the code, uh, what was it, codeless interface? No
1: code, yeah. So that's what people are calling, codeless or no code, I guess. <laughs>
0: can, can you talk about, you know, why why go for something like that versus, you know, uh, something else?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, you, we, we went with that primarily because we realized that when we were creating our mocks. Uh, initially, we thought it would be, um, it'll be through YAML or, or some kind of configuration language where you can specify this, which you can still do in our platform today if you prefer that. But what we realized is that we are at a higher level of abstraction where you're only connecting a few things. It's not like 100 things you're connecting. That's just too hard to do in, in an interface. right? Uh, but you're connecting top-level pieces Uh, And it makes it much easier to see what is being passed, what input and output. It's just user experience, right? uh, It's a very pleasant visual experience that makes uh, people's lives easier. Uh, You can still go under the hood and you can still uh, muck with the YAML representation of that uh, workflow. um, And we give you full access to that. We are not hiding that. And no code as a kind of like a pattern or a paradigm, right? It's taking shape in many other fields also. We see tools like Webflow, which helps with building websites uh, or Wix.com, for example, right? and, and many other uh, tools. You just build a website without ever writing code. Why can't we do the same thing for infrastructure? Right? So it should be that simple. And uh, obviously, it's not that straightforward because solving a, an SRE problem, is not the same as building a website, but I think there are many patterns we can we can apply here that make people's lives easier.
0: Can you talk about why an SRE might want this? You know, an SRE by definition is a coder, right? They understand how to use code. So why would somebody who who understands code and is and is used to that kind of cognitive complexity? Why would they want a tool like this?
1: Yeah, in fact, we want people to write code. Uh, we want, uh, and in fact, all three of us co-founders, we. We build. we've been coders all our life and the teams we managed, SRE teams, had software engineers who did ops. Yeah, we want people to write code. Now, what kind of code is the question, right? So uh, we want people to write code that is specific to their service. Uh, Some would call it business logic, right? Uh, Like Slack, the company or the engineers would know how Slack exactly works, right? But we don't know how that works. So they should write code on how to manipulate those services. But what if you wanted to like write logs to S3? Right? S3 is the uh, you know, AWS service where you can just store data. That's standard for anyone. right? Any customer who uses this service does it exactly the same way. Why do you have to keep write, rewriting code for, for that? Right? Uh, or another example is uh, you have an alert from a service like Datadog that sends message to someone, and then they run a script. And then once they fix it, they close a Jira issue. Right? Simple workflow. Now, closing a Jira issue, sending an alert, uh, messaging on Slack, it's the same no matter which company it is. So that's, that's what we are providing. We are not providing the business logic, but the glue to connect all that logic. Uh, it could be any type of logic. It could be. Python, Terraform, Ansible, any type of language, uh, we can connect it. Uh, but we are providing all the glue so that people don't have to spend time writing code for that. Right? So that's where the no-code aspects come in. Um, so, so that's that's basically it. So we want people to write code, in fact, and then connect it in Filament. And uh, we call it we call it Filament for a reason as well. It's like three D printer filaments like you use 3D printer filaments, the wires, or the threads to print something, right? So we are the same, that we are giving you those filaments or building blocks to build a workflow, but we are not giving you the workflow because no one knows what is the exact workflow, right? We're giving the building blocks that can act as a glue between all your steps.
0: Thanks for clearing that up. You know, I think the term kind of no code implies this is for people that don't code, but actually, no, you got to really, actually, it's for the people that code who maybe don't want to be doing kind of the the nitty gritty of connecting things and and changing it and and configuration. So what's the story behind starting your company?
1: All three of us, uh, co-founders, me, David, and Cheyenne, we've been in infrastructure industry for a while. I did my PhD on, on infrastructure more than 10 years ago when AWS was not even there. So, so we have seen lots of things. I'm dating myself now. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so when I was doing my PhD, AWS was just getting started in 2006, seven was one of the first few VMs that happened in AWS, right? So uh, so we've seen the transitions of private to public cloud, VMs to containers to what people call as serverless, right? No servers and uh, and many other transitions right um, so but even with all that improvements there is one pain point that is not well addressed that is the ops toil right like the pain it takes to manage a saAS platform like robinhood or slack or 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 like Liberty Mutual American express any of these products or companies right is still very high and uh, and it a lot of it is, Still manual, people wouldn't believe it, but uh, manual as in someone has to take an action. Even if they're doing it through code, someone has to decide. Uh, so that's what we wanted to solve. And Shayan, uh, uh, my co-founder, she, she's also done a lot of research work in this. She she has a PhD from Caltech. She was a researcher at HP Labs and worked for VMware and then was a founding member in a startup and then, when, when, and then we did this. So we've we, we done a lot of work in... What people call as automatic remediation, where how can we fix problems automatically? Can computers fix themselves? Right, that's the holy grail question. But the answer is actually no. Right, I mean it's not possible. Right, and uh, what we are trying to do is that get eighty percent there so that people can do real stuff. Right, so they can focus on more important things. Uh, so that's how we started. I think that's a. Much more, I think, philosophical way of looking at it, like, hey, this is where the world is heading, uh, and uh, I mean, my my PhD was called automating virtual data centers a long time ago. So, so I worked in automation a long time. Uh, same with Shayan and David, my other co-founder as well. So, so that's how we started. But then, of course, we had to get practical. We are building a business. We had to sell, make money. That's what, uh, <laughs> that's what makes uh, startups and companies right. So, we have constrained the problem to be. And we talked to our uh, customers, many SREs, DevOps engineers, as well as leaders, right, like CIOs, uh, VP of ops, and many others. And uh, when we interviewed them, the same kind of problems resonated, but we constrained it to the point of these three pillars, that building workflows is the first problem. And then how do you run it in a single place, single environment? And then how do you debug it? Uh, so that's how we built the product. Uh, it took I think 2019 we started, but uh, it took most of that year to figure that out. But last year we we went ahead and built the product, uh, built the team of course first, um, and uh, we released our product in
0: December last year. Congrats! So you built the team. Can you talk? Can you talk about that? Wh- who are the people behind Filament?
1: Yeah, we are 20 people now. So other than three of us, so we have 10 people here in. Bay Area and uh, 10 people in India. We have a rockstar team, people with uh, great experience in building this web-scale or large-scale SaaS platforms. So we are a SaaS platform ourselves, built completely serverless, so we don't incur any cost unless people use us, right? unless people actually use the platform. So that's a very nicely elegant uh, design that's, been, that, that's done by the team. Yeah, so most of our team essentially is what I call as cloud engineers, uh, engineers who are quite proficient in terms of working with the cloud, public cloud. Uh, it's relatively, it's still relatively new, right? Uh, it's only been a few years since uh, AWS and public cloud has taken shape. But man, I'm very proud of the team. They've done an amazing job in building the product pretty quickly with high quality, also, right? So that's another important thing. And uh, and we have people from like pretty much. All kinds of companies in Bay Area, HP Labs, and Facebook, uh, uh, and uh, other companies as well.
0: Strong sounds like a strong team. So you mentioned, you know, the technology bit and AWS kind of being around now for a couple years. Why is now the right time for your company? You know, what's changed in technology platforms? Uh, maybe it's customer behavior. Why do you think now's the right time for filament?
1: It's a great question because Shain and I, we done academic research and also worked at VMware when we thought about these problems. So now is the right time primarily because there is a shift from, there are two types of shifts, right? One is that we are going from private to public cloud. I mean, that's been happening for a while, but we are still at the early stages of that. So, but people are just realizing that running on public cloud is different from Uh, running in private cloud or VMware environments, you need more automation, you need more API-driven, code-driven automation, right? You know, or processes. So, So that's one big driver for us. And I think this is the right time because, again, because of COVID and or otherwise, people are digitizing. Every company in the world is digitizing, right? I mean, companies you would never think of now suddenly have to switch to a digital model where they deliver services over internet, and uh, it could be e-commerce, it could be delivery, it could be banking, healthcare, I mean, the list goes on, right? So that's one big driver for us. Uh, Of course, we started before COVID happened, and clearly COVID caused a lot of distress to a lot of people, but it also is causing some disruption in certain things. Uh, And I think in some ways, automation helps in reducing costs and making it easier. Other big change is that every software that is built today is going to be SaaS, which is I think mind-boggling. Uh, if you if you're if you're like me who has seen software from pretty much at the like since my college days, right, <laughs> where you would get packaged software, right? you would get CDs. I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure if you don't. Some people would even know that term anymore, right? What is a CD? It's, it's so cool. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a big geek, uh, and um, I'm so happy that, like, technology has improved so much. Now you just uh, build a SaaS platform and deliver service to all over the world with millions of users and in a few months, weeks, right? Any product. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, and uh, that's what we want to help with. Uh, and that requires certain kind of architecture. That requires you to be scalable, that requires you to handle uh, load. Like Robin Hood, for example, went through huge volatility, right? And um, uh, I mean, during recently, or, or maybe last year as well, and during March, and many other companies, right? Netflix. Uh, and even though I know Netflix people, it looks like, oh, it's always running, everybody's watching movies, no problems. But I know the teams that have been up all night making sure that's happening. And uh, it's not easy, right? Um, And uh, we can only imagine like uh, companies who are just getting started with digital SaaS products, they're not equipped for many things that these companies can handle. So anyway, (laughs) that's a long story, but uh, yeah, that's that's why the time is now.
0: (laughs) That was a great answer. That was a great answer. I actually want to dig a little bit deeper because you mentioned a couple of interesting things. So you mentioned API, software as a service, and, and some of the changes to you know everything going digital. So can you just talk about like some of the trends you've seen just in software over the last you know five to ten years? How how are things changing?
1: I think writing software has become much, much easier. And that's that's great. Um, um that's making a lot more people to write software lot more people to manage and of course use the software as well. So but more precisely, like if you look at let's say we divide it into three parts, right? Development of software and then test and then deploy, right? Let's just keep it to only through those three. So development has become so much easier. Now. So we have languages like Python and other languages which are so easy to use. So many libraries and you can build anything you want with like a few libraries you can put together in a weekend. Could be as complex as like running a deep neural neural network. You can do it in a weekend today. I mean, that's amazing. And then you can run it on the cloud, right? And same with testing. Testing has improved significantly. Uh, there is automated testing tools. Many, many, like UI testing, for example, has improved so much. And, and finally, deployment we have infrastructure of course cloud infrastructure readily available you can deploy anytime at any scale you can get 1000 vms or a million vms if you want if you have the money right uh, so i think that's why it's great to see there is more and more software being generated but more software also creates other problems of like dip, uh, i miss i kind of uh, didn't give you the last part which is the operations right Dev, test, deploy, the final thing is operations. Uh, How do you maintain this for a year, 10 years from now? That's the painful part. So that's what we are solving. And um, so, yeah, software has improved so much. I'm really happy to see that uh, transition.
0: You know, me too. I remember remember going from college classes where I was learning, you know, C++ and, you know, you miss a comma or a, a semicolon and it's like, the whole thing breaks. And, and then the first day I did, did Python and it's like, oh, just import this, import that. Boom, you're done. It's like, it's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's that's it. That's why, uh, I mean, it should be exactly like that. I mean, companies should be smarter and smarter, let people do more logic, right? Like the real clever stuff that people have to do.
0: Exactly. All right. Let's talk about the value proposition. Describe the essence of your innovation at Filament.
1: Clearly, Filament is a startup and it's a business where we had to provide value to our customers, right? So the big value that we are trying to provide is to help people automate. That's the overall mission, but but why, right? Why do we automate? It's primarily to save time and money for people. Uh, So there is time spent in troubleshooting and figuring out what happened, why it happened. So, So we're providing value there in terms of making all that faster in building the workflow, like you can just build a workflow in a few minutes. I show demos where less than 30-minute demos, we show the entire process of fixing a specific problem right there and then run it in the demo, right? So that's, I think, that's something uh, not that not that common these days, uh, even in the, these days, right? it's Sure, you can build a workflow, but it takes time, right? So that's what we are doing. Uh, the second big one is, of course, cost, right? Why do people Companies incur cost. Uh, one is, of course, you spend money on AWS. That's one, right? That's that. That probably you need to. But there is also like there is a lot of wastage. Uh, like you have virtual machines that are not being used. You have storage that, that is never touched. Uh, maybe you have some uh, specific things that you have installed that are never used, uh, and you're paying money licensing or other things for that. So that's where cost comes into picture, and automation is a great tool there, where you can identify all of those things, and then fix them. Like it might be deleting VMs, and we have a workflow for that, things like that. So, so yeah, I think the value that we provide primarily is to reduce um, time, uh, reduce cost, and save time. And and for a CIO looking at it, it's more of like, hey, I'm spending this much money, this budget. On my entire infrastructure, how much of that is like going towards the what people call as incident response, right? like fixing problems, and, and it's a lot. It's huge. Uh, it varies from company to company, but that's that's where we are trying to help reduce the uh, money that that is required to manage that.
0: Okay, let's move on to the market. How competitive is the addressable market?
1: This is a relatively new field. Uh, I mean, this is a. Complicated answer, so bear with me. So th- I'll give you a little bit of historical perspective. Also, like if you look at private cloud automation, I mean VMware was the big leader, and uh, you could argue at that time that there was there were different players competing with that. But in public cloud automation is not well established yet. It's a, it's good and bad. It's a white space for us to go and attack, and we get compared today to with a specific tool like Terraform. Chef puppet uh, or even Python scripts, right? Like, yeah, hey, I have a Python script. Why do I need a filament? Kind of thing. So that's our competition, like the status quo of like people using specific script or a tool to automate. Whereas we are a platform that connects all these things, and we are at a layer above all of that, right? So, uh, so today immediately we don't have like a direct competition for any big players. There are a few startups that are uh, working on some things. And, um, I mean, it's great to see other people also coming up with similar ideas, but nothing, no, nothing significant yet. Uh, and I'll give you another, there is another way to look at it. Like if you look at other market segments, there are companies like Zapier, Trade.io that, have, that are doing automation for the non-coder, like you said earlier, right? A person who may not be coding at all, and they just want to, let's say, take a PDF attachment in in Gmail and then take the data and send it to Salesforce. Uh, Let's say a sales guy wants to do that. Uh, They're helping with those kind of use cases, what are called as business process automation. That is doing very well, and I'm really happy about that. UiPath, the company that does robotic process automation, slightly different use case, but concept is similar. right? Uh, It was more intended for... Again, finance, HR, those kind of use cases. Uh, also, they're they're looking at virtual robots, right, kind of stuff that go and fix a few things. That's different from what we do. But UiPath is doing very well. There is, like, almost a billion dollars at, like, 28 billion valuation. So that's all great science for us. But they are in different market. We are looking at infrastructure automation, which is a completely different market as well.
0: So it sounds like... You're picking a market that's almost niche, and you're able to differentiate from the competition um, based on that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Next question: What's the most important north star metric that helps you kind of track your progress?
1: Clearly, for the company, revenue is the big metric. Uh, but if you dig deeper, I think the a platform's viability is very much dependent on the number of integrations we do, or number of things we can connect, uh, and we call them connectors. <laughs> so, so we. We are trying to integrate with all the different top tools that infrastructure people do. Uh, so we do Datadog, Slack, Splunk, ServiceNow, and many others. Of course, AWS Services, Terraform, Ansible, all these. Right. The more we have, the better it is for our customer, the user. Uh, we want to make it as easy as possible for them to connect anything to anything. That's the challenge. Uh, right? If you can connect a, any two or three of those, with some effort, uh, even manually, right, or, or in-house. But how do you do this across any type of service? Uh, that's what we are providing. So our North Star is like number of connectors right now. So that's what I keep telling the team that, um, of course, we need to make money. But to do that, we need to give our user the easiest, best platform to connect things together. And it all matters on how many things we can connect and how easily, right? So. So today, we connect all AWS services. That's, uh, that's great. The team has done a great job. And uh, we also had 20-plus integrations with like to, uh, services like Datadog, Slack, Splunk. And we connect all code we, today, Terraform, Python, Ansible. And we are working on, of course, adding more integrations. Uh, so that's already a comprehensive platform. Uh, we wanted version 1 to be as comprehensive as possible to start with uh, for people to take advantage of it.
0: And speaking of people, let's let's talk about the users. I guess first, who, who are your users? Who are the most important customers?
1: Yeah, we've been working with a few design partners very closely. Uh, Snowflake is one and a few others. And uh, so I call them design partners primarily because we are still pre-revenue. Um, and we are working with these customers almost like uh, partners who can help us define our product. Um, so we are working with a large MSP as well, uh, a large storage company, and a few others. And uh, we, we're also having partnerships with specific companies. So we have with Big Panda and Instana, which is acquired by IBM now. Uh, I just did a webinar with them last week. Uh, so we're trying to reach to their customers and try to collaborate. At the same time, we also have quite a few free tier customers. So we, when we released our product, the model is very simple. It's a freemium model. Uh, so there is a free tier where you you can sign up with email and. That's it. You start using. There is no credit card required. Uh, so we have quite a few of those free tier signups. People have signed up with their business email, uh, not just like um, random email, right? So we are reaching out to them as well. We have quite a few of them. But yeah, uh, quite a few design partners, uh, some uh, very high quality people. and uh, but, but we have a lot of work to do. It's just been a year worth of work. And I'm building the go-to-market team right now.
0: So it sounds like you have a great strategy around, you know, who you partner with or, or who you build this for. Can, can you talk about the importance of those customer relationships and maybe how you have built those over the last year or two?
1: I think this is, this is more of a enterprise sales, like top level question, right? Like as to how do you do enterprise sales? And my view here is that it's all relationship based. And you know, like you asked the question, showing value, right? How how do we show value for these people? Uh, then they're going to buy for sure. I mean, reaching out to them, it's uh, mostly through my network or our advisors, my co-founders. We've been in the industry for a while. So we don't have any lack of leads. I mean, we have enough leads to go and talk to, which is good. Great. For this stage, of course, as we scale things, will we have to reach to more people. But right now, we have many interesting people who want to try our product. and. Uh, uh, that's great to have. Uh, but then next step is like, how do we show value and be being honest about our product that, hey, this is not working. Maybe this for this, UI is not the right thing to do, right? You have to be honest about those kind of things. And or this connector maybe should be prioritized higher than something else. So those kind of things, we are making those decisions with talking to customers. So that's how you show value to them. That's how you stay engaged also we we are doing webinars and writing blog posts, and there is a lot of interest in that. Of course, I had to hire more people <laughs> to do that in a more scal- scalable way. so we're still doing like a, maybe a blog post for per week or things like that. I want to make it much more and reach more people
0: and can you talk about who your early customers might be you know early adopters? It's kind of a hard persona to tackle, but who do you think your early adopters are and and maybe what's their role in their company?
1: The persona we are tracking or the persona we are trying to help is uh, an SRE or DevOps engineer who is the user, right? They have to be excited about our product. That's our primary target. But at the same time, we are also talking to VP of Ops and other leaders in the organization who are responsible for writing the check. So those are the folks we are working with. And it, there is a bit of nuance also, right? Like the the automation makes sense for a company of certain scale. So we're trying to target companies who have at least like a million million dollars per year spend on, on public cloud. That's when they really see the pain. That's when they really see that okay, I'm spending a significant amount. Why? Where is it going? Right? So so that's the kind of companies and the people we are we're targeting.
0: And talk about your go-to-market strategy. What what is it?
1: Go-to-market strategy for an early stage is a work in progress, right? But current immediate strategy is is actually pretty simple, right? So we have a freemium model. There are just only two tiers: free and enterprise tier. And uh, lead generation is done through bottom-up marketing, where you do evangelize. Like I did a webinar last week, and we got quite a few interested people signing up or sending out emails, and then we reach out to them as well. That's the way we want to do. It's a more organic, uh, somewhat slow, right? It's not like we are buying ads or anything like that. Uh, but that's, I think, is the best way. So what is called as bottom-up marketing, right? Like you do marketing, work with real people directly, uh, on like you know, post in forums, write blog posts, of course, appear in podcasts <laughs> and uh, other things. Yes, and uh, that that's what I really like. It may not be like uh, we do an ad for, or a campaign that would cost a lot of money and who knows how many users we get, right? That's not the right way, I think. We want to really excite people into understanding our product and get that early uh, evangelist. It may be only a few, right? 10 people, 100 people, that's it, right? So that's the primary go-to-market strategy. And of course, we're still an enterprise product. We still have to do an enterprise sale. And usually that requires a top-down approach where you work with a leader and then have a champion in the in the company who can help you navigate some of the aspects of like who, who buys what, what is the line item, how do we provide value, how do we show ROI, things like that. And that's also very important. And we are doing that too, but we are doing only with a specific set of customers. I mean, this early, you we don't, we don't want to overstretch on that. And you don't want to build like a big sales force to do that either. It's too early for that. Uh, but that's the model, bottom-up marketing, top-down enterprise sale.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, this is such a innovative product. It's so kind of new. It's You, you kind of have to create the market. So maybe it's not a go-to-market. It's like a build-the-market strategy.
1: Yeah, I think it's a... In some ways, people have the problem. I mean, the our audience is clear. But you're right that... Uh, there is no Gartner segment. I was talking to or Forrester, right? I was talking to Forrester a couple of days, uh, well, last week, and uh, it's the same, right? They are they are also observing, and uh, it's great for them to see companies like us who are identifying these problems. There was a Forbes article also, an analyst wrote uh, about having a platform above automation tools like Terraform and other other tools. So I think people are recognizing the need. So so it'll be. It'll be much more clearly defined in a year, maybe two years from now. But in the meantime, we have to explain to people: Hey, this is a problem. This is a solution. What do you think? Uh, so we are at that stage, and so far it's been awesome. People are giving us great feedback.
0: You've mentioned the freemium model, and you know we're we're kind of uh, we're so we're in the early innings of uh, of this market. So. Are you thinking about how the company makes money? How do you intend on making revenue, right? Uh, It's the important thing for the startup. So yeah, what's your plan there?
1: Yeah, so we have our revenue goals for this year. Definitely, I think last year was about product and engineering, building the product. Uh, And this year is all about marketing and sales. The very first innings, like you said. So making revenue is, is obviously very important. And in terms of how we want to, I mean, it's more, Process-wise, right? So we we are looking at like converting mm-hmm. our free users to enterprise tier. That's that's the goal, right? So again, the free tier, we want to uh, engage with people directly uh, through webinars or forums and blog posts and other things, and and have them sign up and try it out and see the value. Uh, mm-hmm. And we will of course be with them, showing them how to build workflows. Sample, we have many sample workflows as well. And then continue to do that and then convert that into a long subscription, per month subscription or yearly subscription. So that's how we plan to get revenue. Uh, I think I'm biased. I'm a founder. I'm optimistic always. (laughs) So I think we are at a a stage where team has done an amazing job building the product. And now we just have to properly message it and sell it, but not sell it as in like car salesman kind of approach, right? (laughs) It's more of like we show value. And I think I believe that we have we can bring great value to customers. So it's just a matter of time.
0: Show the value and the product will sell itself.
1: <laughs> well, it takes work, but yeah, product definitely can, can help.
0: Oh, I want to be optimistic too. Let's talk about you know what you've learned and how you've leveraged some of those experiences. So so talk about what you've learned uh, both at startups and large corporations and, and what you bring to Filament today.
1: I mean, I've been, now this is my second startup and uh, It's still a huge learning process, right? And I've been at Cisco, at VMware, and of course, I interact with quite a few friends at big companies like Amazon, Microsoft, other places. Yes, I think to me, for me, like startups are the thing or entrepreneurship is probably the right word. Like being, building something, a company is what excites me. And it's not for everyone. I, I actually do angel investing. And uh, I also help a few VCs uh, do diligence on startups. I'm actually talking to a founder right after this, uh, helping them with their pitch. Yeah, so yes, if your viewers, anyone is interested, I'm happy to help them in like building the pitch, pitching to, uh, connecting to VCs and things like that. So that has helped me learn a lot of things, and uh, it's not just about uh, glitzy TechCrunch articles. That talk about like 100 million raises or or more billion dollar raises these days it's all there's also the struggle right entrepreneurship is a a tough thing to do it requires certain kind of persona to do it so i help people understand a lot of that and uh, some people are made for it some people have to maybe a little bit try to understand how to navigate some of the challenges but it's not for everyone right a lot of people I talk to think of it as like a career progression, especially in the Valley, right? You see that everyone is working for a startup. Everyone is starting a company, but that's not true, right? So everyone is like, oh, why can't I start a company? So it's, it's not like that. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> but that aside, I, I think small company and big company, big companies also I really enjoyed. VMware was amazing. The team I was in and my co-founder, Shine, was also there. We both were in the same team. And the team I was in was one of the best teams in VMware. It had the highest concentration of PhDs as well. (laughs) And um, uh, it was led by a couple of principal engineers. uh, uh, Anne Holler is one. She's at Uber now. Who've been with VMware since beginning. And uh, it was an amazing learning experience for me. Their mentorship and Anne especially and, and other folks. It was, so that I think that, That's the kind of thing a big company can give you. There are folks with a lot of experience and have seen many things at scale. Startup is sometimes you're still early stages, right? But in a big company, people have already seen the product is already making a billion dollars, right? So you can see what that means. And if you're willing to learn, there are folks who can guide you. And I I took full advantage of that. I was part of the CTO's office, incubation projects. I talked to many business uh, unit leaders, even though it was not part of the primary job. And um, talked to many principal engineers like Anne. So I think that that's the advantage of uh, big companies. Uh, same with Cisco. At Cisco, I joined as a leader. So it was even better experience, I think, in terms of interacting with other leaders and SVPs, VPs, and all the folks who have a different perspective from, of course, how you run a st- startup. There are different challenges. I wouldn't say one is good or bad. It's at different stages in your career, you should experience both, both sides.
0: So quick follow up, uh, you know, Angel News is the podcast for startup builders and operators. So uh, this is one for kind of the people interested in startups. You have a ton of experience, a wealth of experience. What kind of skills or traits do you think make someone successful or maybe just a good fit at a startup? versus a big corporation? That's a great
1: question. It comes up quite often. In fact, when we hire someone, we, we also like struggle to sometimes answer that question. I mean, when we are hiring the person, will this be the person, can they survive, right? So I think that's, the, that's kind of the keyword, right? Like survive. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like, I mean, I'll give my own example that I really enjoy, it's not necessarily small teams. I really enjoy teams where there is no structure. Where we are figuring out things and we are solving problems, big problems, and everyone comes together, and and there is a leader naturally emerges, and everyone huddles around and then figures out we figure out what to do, right? And the team does something so amazing that that wouldn't happen otherwise. That's what startups are about. That's what I really love, right? And this can happen in a big company also. And the team I worked at VMware, it's a similar kind of culture and uh, the team built some amazing products that made billions of dollars for VMware. right? So I know Microsoft SQL team, I have a very good friend, it is a long time ago now, when they were competing with Oracle, Microsoft SQL server was created. It was a team of like 40 people, and Oracle had like 1000 engineers or more working in databases, right? And they beat them, right? So it's, it's amazing stuff like that. That's what that's what really excites me. And um, so we are looking for someone who's okay with that kind of unstructured, initial, early-stage stuff. So so some of the traits are usually around, how can you work efficiently without a lot of structure? I think that's one of the big things uh, I see people struggle because I know well, we see someone in a big company and uh, they're doing extremely well, they're highly talented, can do all the tasks, whatever is necessary, right? But you put them in an unstructured approach where like, "Hey, we don't know what customer requirements are. go build this X right, and they suddenly can't do anything right mm-hmm. so it's not their fault. it's our fault actually for hiring that person right so I think that's that's one big trait you need like do you enjoy that unstructured uh, process to figuring out what to do and and of course, as a leader as Uh, For our own team, I try to be as clear as possible on what needs to be done. Within our company, we have product requirement documents, PIDs, and other things. But it's still uncertain. It's still unstructured uh, because we don't know in the end exactly how these things are supposed to work. So that's one big one. The other one I see a lot of people struggle with is risk. There is this mental model that startups are risky, and they are, right? Quantitatively speaking, like if you could be working for a big company, make like certain X amount of dollars in startup, maybe not, right? Because it can die in a year, in a few months, who knows, right? So that is one way to look at it. But in reality, people don't think that quantitative. I actually have a spreadsheet that I share with uh, prospective employees or other founders also. People are really surprised when I show the numbers. Uh, It's pretty straightforward. It's not that hard to calculate if you make, let's say, a million dollars in in four years, how much the company startup should pay you, how much the equity should be worth for you to break even, it's not that hard to figure out. But that's not what people are thinking. What people are thinking is that, oh, one day I lose my job and I can't feed my children. That's what people are worried about, right? So, so that's the. I think that that's not easy for everyone, um, and uh, this is something I tell folks. I mean probably folks who are li- will be listening to the podcast as well as others, right? So uh, that's one of the things that you had to figure out, like, is that the right thing for me or not if you're joining a startup? Because it's never true, right? It's not like you are on the streets the next day. It's never like that, especially for many engineers in Bay Area and other places where if you're skilled, I think you'll get a job. But it's it's still, it's, it's a risk, right? So I would say these two, right? Unstructured uh, environments, and uh, dealing with risk. Quantitatively, it's not actually that much risk when you really put the numbers, but, but it's that emotional, mental model of risk people may not be able to handle. So, and then it compounds. They join initially thinking, oh, it's okay, I can handle this. But then one day something happens. Uh, let's say we are getting close to running out of money or maybe we lose a key member of the team, something like that, right? And then they suddenly get get panicky. So uh, but it's it's my job as a startup founder or our job founders and the team to make sure that our team is well taken care of. So that's one thing that's always top of my mind when I when I talk to my folks. So my ways are like just being transparent completely from the beginning, from the day we interviewed the person, we make it very clear hey these are the things that are going to happen sometimes, but we are we will do everything we can to make it work for you, right so, that's that's the only way to make this work. Anyway, I, I think that's a long long answer for that.
0: It was the good answer. Okay, I guess last question here. We're uh, you know running up against the against the clock. What are the biggest challenges that you still need to address as a company?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a uh, that's something that I wake up every day with. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So the biggest challenge is clearly revenue, right? Uh, I think how do we make money? And um, again, we are a business. We have to build a company that survives. Uh, I mean, the purpose of a business is to make money. In one way That's how capitalism works. <laughs> I don't want to get too philosophical. That's the biggest challenge for us, right? But, but more, I think, from a startup point of view, I feel that we have a problem-solution fit. So we know that there is a problem many customers have told us about. And we build a solution that caters to that. And, and again, people used who used it are telling us that, yeah, this makes sense, this works for us. But how do we get from there to product market fit, where you make money and repeat it, uh, and keep providing value for years to come? Uh, that is to be, to be done. I mean, I'm, I'm fully honest about that, to my team and everyone, our investors as well. So, But we have time. We have this year, I mean, we raised money last year, so we have time to figure that out. That's the biggest challenge. I'm very excited too that we have a great team. We are fully equipped with the like, right people around us. We just try to go and get
0: it done. Good words to wrap up on. You, you mentioned that you advise and do some investing as well. Maybe talk about that a little bit more. And if the listeners do want to reach out, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, this is uh, quite informal. When I started investing in, in startups, uh, it was mostly like friends who were starting a company and, and I just put in a small amount of money. But then it kind of grew like in last two, three years. Now, quite a few people reach out to me once in a while. (laughs) So there is definitely interest um, and and I'm happy to help. So the way I like to help is that like sometimes people reach out with, with the initially like, hey, can you look at my pitch and give feedback? That could be a starting point. Other ways is like when you're fundraising, then you're like, I need to connect with some investors understand current state of VC market, maybe some strategy on which VCs to reach, how much to raise, what kind of terms. There's so many things uh, I'm happy to help with. I mean, uh, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. My email is uh, ppadala at gmail.com, p and my last name at gmail.com. But LinkedIn, feel free to connect. And uh, anyone who's interested, just reach out. Happy to chat.
0: All right, Pradeep, we're going to end it there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating if it's a good one. Pradeep, thanks for joining the show today. I really appreciate you making the time to come on here and and share.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, This was fun. Great questions. I hope your listeners really like all the answers as well. (laughs) Happy to stay connected.